Greetings, family, and welcome to The Journey Continues, a Cities United podcast. My name is Anthony Smith, and I'll be your host each month as we take this journey together to reimagine public safety. Cities United is a national network that supports mayors, community leaders, and young leaders from all across the country who are committed to creating safe, healthy, and hopeful communities for young Black men and boys and their families. On each episode, you will hear from key stakeholders from throughout our network who will help us examine the issues that impact young Black men and boys' lives, while also helping us identify key solutions and best practices that will help us reimagine public safety and truly create spaces that are safe, healthy, and hopeful for all. On this episode of The Journey Continues, I am joined by L. Herons, the Executive Director at the Marshall P. Johnson Institute, and Quinequa Carthen Love, the Deputy Director here at Cities United. Through my conversation with these amazing leaders, you would get to know who they are, the work that they do, and what they think needs to happen to reimagine public safety in our country. Let's start with L. Can you tell us about L, like who you are, what you do, and why? You know, L is a woman from Columbus, Ohio, uh, born and raised. I've had the, you know, fortunate privilege to live in multiple places, uh, New York City and uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, particular, you know, places that really shaped um, so much of my understanding of the world outside of the one I was exposed to. Uh, you know, being from Ohio, um, you know, I'm an artist. Uh, before I see anything, I see the world in color, and that really helps me as an organizer, which is what I'm probably most known for at this point in my life. Uh, I've spent countless years organizing towards freedom, organizing with freedom uh, in mind, um, and thinking about the ways to really create that, not only for myself, but for others. Um, but I'm also a Ohio girl, so uh, I love my family. You know, uh, I'm an auntie, I'm a dog mom. You know, Ella's a lot of different things, uh, but more than anything, I'm alive. And that's something that uh, I'm grateful, you know, to be rooted rooted in. Um, but yeah, that, that's a little bit of who I am, I guess. <laughs> Um, I try to make sure that I'm doing more than just fundraising money for my organization <laughs> um, and bossing people around as, you know, most directors do. <laughs> no, that's dope. I appreciate that. And uh, all of those layers matter, right? And I think that's a big part of who we are and how we show up. Uh, and our roots kind of inform that, right? It's the start of that. And when you think about it, what do you do on a day-to-day outside? None of you—you started as organizing, organizing as your background. What do you do on a day-to-day, and why is it important for you to do that work? Uh, so my organization is called the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. We are a organization that works to protect and defend the human rights of Black transgender people in the United States. It's an organization that I founded to really meet a need that I saw was. Uh, a a huge void in the social justice sector uh, across many organizations, across many movements that I helped, that I had helped inform and build. I was very clear this was one particular area that we had not prioritized in um, our philanthropic efforts, but also in our organizing efforts. And so I felt like it was my duty to really ensure that the legacy of movements before me and my own legacy, that it had a place to live that was not Um, intertwined or 
um, at the end of somebody else's platform. So the Marsha P. Johnson Institute is an organization that, you know, we're really trying to meet the needs of our people, you know, and those needs really look different. You know, we recognize community is a huge thing that's missing for a lot of Black trans people across the country. And so we really implemented a membership structure to try to create space for camaraderie and community and, you know, resource um, sharing. Uh, but also community knowledge, you know, how to survive systems, how to survive inequities, how to survive transphobia and anti-Blackness is something that's best, you know, um, that, that, that feels more possible when you have other people to reflect on your experiences with. So that was a huge thing for me when founding the organization was to create that space, uh, you know, <laughs> Creating any space and maintaining it during this pandemic has been, um, I think, a struggle for so many of us. And it's just eye-opening that so many of us have been able to continue to go on and sustain despite the hardship. And so, you know, for us, we're a new organization. We turned one years old in June. Um, you know, for organizations that really do want to show up for Black trans community and for Black trans people, uh, it's really an assessment of what do you have to give? Um, because there's a lot of tokenization in our desires to really uh, create space that we don't realize the harm that we're causing um, to the individual or individuals that we invite into our spaces. So, you know, that's one thing that I always just think is important is to really just make sure um, that you're prepared to support a marginalized community in all of the ways that they'll probably need to be supported. Uh, I often say that in order for the murders of Black trans people to be interrupted, for Black trans women to no longer be murdered, then Black community has to be resourced and supported so that we're not in a dog-eat-dog -dog world kind of a, you know, fight with each other about maintaining our survival. So, um, you know, this idea around reimagining safety, I don't even think safety needs to be reimagined, I think it needs to be reintroduced as an option <laughs> that people have. Because right now, uh, the only option that we're presented with is the idea that the police exist and they're going to keep us safe. But we all know that the police don't keep us safe. They just respond, you know, to situations. And sometimes uh, more than not, <laughs> you know, they escalate that, uh, cause for concern anyway around safety. So yeah, you know, I, I just feel like it needs to be reintroduced as an option, meaning people can actually select what it is that they want and what they need. And I do think if people had more money, had more resources uh, in their communities directly, they'd be able to, you know, pick what would make them feel safe as opposed to just being given, uh, you know, baloney. That's how I feel about a lot of these conversations around reimagining uh, safety. A lot of it is baloney. Um, a lot of it is just good talking points because it makes people stand out. But the actual belief and the practice around making these things happen, the actions that one needs to take, uh, you know, most movements, most people doing lip service, they don't have the guts nor the willpower to sustain and, and to do that work, unfortunately. No, I like the reframe of the reintroduce uh, a re, yeah, because I think, you know, to your point, a lot of us have tried to create our own safety, right? Our own space and our own ideal of what safety means and, and work within this system that does not support it. And how do we create something brand new? 
And resources has got to be that, right? Which is why your code relief fund uh, relief process was on point, right? Because that's what people needed, right? People did not need too much of anything else. I didn't need resources to keep living because shit shut down, uh, jobs are done. And so how do we do that? Uh, and this is, uh, I got two quick questions and then I'll let you bounce because I know you got to keep moving. Uh, one of the things uh, we think about, well, uh, we've been watching is the, this uh, universal basic income that you see playing out across the country. I started in uh, Stockton with Mayor Tubbs, and then there's other mayors who have signed on, right? Uh, and I believe that's one way uh, to get this done. It won't be for the masses, it won't be for all, but it is a model to start saying we could be different. And if you give people resources, and trust them enough to do with what they need with those resources, uh, things could shift. Uh, so just want to get your thoughts on the universal basic income uh, as a model uh, 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 and what your thoughts are about that. Uh, so we implemented our COVID relief program. Um, it's a little fanfare. You know, we didn't know what kind of impact it was going to have or what would be possible for it. But I wanted to make sure that Black trans people were not solely relying on the government who have already failed Black trans people in so many ways. Uh, so I didn't care if we just got one grant to, you know, one person, one was enough for me. Uh, and, you know, five months later, we're now sitting in a COVID relief program that has distributed over 400 uh, direct cash assistant grants to Black trans people across the country. And, you know, I think it's just a testament to uh, the will of our organization and the hard work that we put in, but it's also a testament to the people being able to express their needs and trusting that there was going to be, you know, a place that would respond to those needs. So that's been our number one program. The only thing we're focused on is surviving the pandemic, but also supporting our community surviving it as well. No, thank you. Uh, all of that is so on point and trying to figure out as a, again, as a, to your point, as an organization, uh, how we show up and where we show up and how we be more supportive uh, is very key. So this probably won't be the last conversation I have with you, Elle, about how Cities United can be better. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and help us work through what we need to work through uh, to get to a place where we're more inclusive and more about. Uh, and even this, you know, as we and others have started having this conversation, around reimagining public safety, which redefining public safety, which means reallocating resources for what public safety really is. When you hear that conversation, you hear people think about that. How does the Institute show up in there? How does it resonate with you? And what does that even really mean when you hear people talk about reimagining public safety uh, 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 for the Black community, especially as for Black trans folks as well? Yeah, well, I think, you know, several things come up for me, depending on which way you look at this conversation. And so when I hear this conversation being led by politicians uh, or, you know, local government officials, I think about their investment in moving more resources to policing and to uh, state military patrols. Uh, I think that when I hear this conversation from uh, liberal movement uh, participants. I think about uh, conversations that we saw a lot about this summer with defund the police. Uh, when I think about what black radical movements mean when they say reimagining safety, uh, I hear those conversations as being from an abolitionist lens around 
you know, not only dismantling the systems, but tearing it down and moving the resources that inform and enforce systems to be at play to really be back into the hands of community. And so, you know, for us as an organization, we came out of the gate in our launch just being very clear that we wanted to see local resources redistributed back to the community. We wanted to see job readiness programs for Black trans people. We wanted to see sex work decriminalized because we understood that if it's unobtainable for us to get jobs, we've got to figure out how to get money from somewhere. So that, you know, we saw that at um, the beginning of our journey as an organization because we knew we needed to be very clear about what our political overarching goals were. Uh, not only did we want the systems to be tore down, we wanted our people to be able to sustain themselves. Uh, and so, you know, in a country where there's a $1.6 trillion deficit, uh, certainly there's some money somewhere. Uh, and so that was really the outlook, you know, that we felt was an important one to approach our work with as we were thinking about, well, what's the way that we can interrupt murders? Oh, love it. Uh, so with all of that, did you just uh, outline uh, and really talk through uh, what public safety means to you? How do we uh, collectively get there, right? What's the way forward? Uh, uh, and how do we, uh, you know, what does the work need to look like uh, moving forward? You know, even as I think about gun violence, you know, there's great resistance to having that space really be fully reflective of the type of violence that we see in the Black community. And so, you know, for organizations that will certainly participate in Trans Day of Remembrance, uh, the efforts around their gun violence prevention measures throughout the year won't reflect the ways that these women in particular are being murdered, you know? So, um, you know, I say that just to say there's so many things that I think could be done. We'd be here all day. Uh, <laughs> I think the most important thing that I will say is to definitely just be intentional about what you have to give more than what you have to gain. Um, and to also just make sure that you've created a specific budget uh, within your organization's strategic plan to be able to support, you know, any initiatives that involves Black trans people, because most likely the community or the organization you're looking to partner with does not have the resources to sustain uh, their participation fully. So that's something that organizations will need to foot the bill for and be very intentional about doing that. Uh, with all that you're doing, with all that's going on, and you talked a little bit about it up front, right? It's like, uh, what is it that, uh, uh, what keeps you going and what gives you hope in these moments that we're in and in the work that we're in? Uh, what keeps you going and what gives you hope? Yeah, what keeps me going? Um, you know, it's such a great question. Um, but some days I don't know what keeps me going, honestly. Uh, <laughs> I think some days I must be a crazy person. Uh, and then I realize, oh yeah, I am a little bit. <laughs> uh, just because, you know, to to keep going in this world, you gotta be somewhat kind of special in your mind. Um, and I'm not saying that to, you know, be ableist, but there's so many things that exist in the world that denies us of uh, any belief in ourselves or in the world. So to, to move in the world and still believe that you can do a thing, uh, you know, I think that's a special gift. Uh, so I do, you know, draw on 
um, just my belief system and my foundation and my love of God and, um, you know, having that as a reference is really helpful because I, I just, you know, I know what God promised, uh, and I try to remember that in all of my work, but also, and, um, I know what I promised myself. And so that, you know, is also really helpful. Uh, I know that there's so many people who believe in me. And so I try to think about, you know, some of my ancestors who have, you know, passed on and, uh, some of my good friends, one of my dearest friends just recently passed, uh, Janisha Gabriel. And I think about her belief and her love and, Uh, Those are the things that I kind of draw on to keep me going, Um, you know, because, you know, the world is dark. Uh, It's very dark right now and it's very easy to lose your faith and to lose your hope if you, you know, let the world win. So shout out to being, you know, an athlete of the mind and also the body. You know, the holiday season is approaching. I love the holidays. So it's the little things, you know, that reminds me of being home and Columbus, Ohio, you know, Christmas lights and Happy New Year and Turkey, like the little things is where I find my hope. So I'm very hopeful uh, that despite the rising COVID numbers and uh, the refusal to leave the White House or whatever the case is, uh, you know, I'm finding my hope in the holiday season. (laughs) You know, I'm finding my hope in the reality that Uh, I've transitioned so many times in my life. Uh, I've experienced so many different parts of life. I've been high and Lord knows I've been very, very low. And so, uh, you know, I find hope in knowing that, you know, uh, you don't stay low forever uh, if you don't want to be. And I think even that in itself is a privilege to be able to say because sometimes people don't know how to get out. Um, but I just like to look for the light wherever I can find it. And uh, that's the hope, you know, that's my hope space. You give me a little bit of light and I promise you, you good luck to you. <laughs> oh yeah. So Quinique or Carton Love, thank you for joining us uh, for the podcast. Uh, the journey continues for Cities United. Uh, really, want to just get into it, really getting to know who you are. So can you tell us about Quinequa, uh, who you are, what you do and why? Yes. Uh, so as Anthony said, I'm Quinequa Carthan Love, um, and I have the honor and pleasure of serving and being in multiple roles, um, like many of us do. Um, and some of those roles that I'm most proud of, of course, is first uh, being a wife and being a mom are the two biggest roles that I'm the most proud of. Um, But also I'm a mentor and advocate um, for young people and also love to elevate my increasingly macro social worker lens as well. So I'm also that. And then finally, I have the honor of serving as our director of planning and programs with Cities United. So in my role at Cities United as our director of planning and programs, um, I have the honor of working with our cities, right? So our partner cities, the individuals who take on our mission, who say yes to the commitment of reducing 
reducing the epidemic of homicides of black men and boys. So we work with them in a number of ways. Um, one being stakeholder programming. So we offer a number of programs directly to our cities um, and the representatives within those cities. So our city leads, our community partners, and of course, our young leaders. So we offer a number of programs that I have the honor of um, working with a team of people to implement. And on the other side, we um, I get to work with our cities a little bit more in-depthly around uh, developing their comprehensive public safety plans, learning more about some of the specific strategies that need to go within those plans, and then um, making sure that they just have the tools and the resources that they envision for their city to um, really reduce the number of homicides. Uh, thank you. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the stakeholders and what the, who they are, how the, your team and the, and the organization supports them? Okay, thanks. Um, so our key stakeholders here at Cities United that I have the pleasure of working with are city leads. City leads are individuals who work directly with mayors and their teams to really implement the violence prevention and or boys and men of color work in their cities. Um, there's a lot of variation with who and where our city leads come from, but ultimately it is the individual appointed by or selected by the mayor to really lead the work on behalf of their city um, with Cities United. The other key stakeholders that we engage are our young leaders. Um, absolutely love working with our young, young leaders and young leaders for Cities United represent the age group of 18 to 24. Um, and they are also working either within their cities or on their own at times. Some are working directly in their local government. Um, some are in the county, but some are doing the work just out as activists, um, as concerned citizens doing this work really on behalf of other young people such as themselves, um, but also other black and brown communities as well within their areas. Um, the last stakeholder that I you know, want to highlight here is our community partners. The community partner stakeholder group is one that's been consistent, um, similar to our young leaders with Cities United over the last couple of years. And our community partners also represent a pretty large um, group of individuals, but mostly most of our community partners are individuals who are representing organizations or groups who are doing direct outreach, street outreach, violence interruption work, more of those direct, um, direct service organizations as well. So those are the three main organization, um, excuse me, stakeholders that we work with throughout our work. But um, for the most part, it's programming, you know, but also mentorship, coaching. At the same time, we have our Young Leader Fellowship. We are in the process of developing our community partner support work as well. Uh, Quinique, we're in the midst of a global pandemic and this worldwide protest for Black Lives. Uh, can you tell us how you are experiencing the current moment and what it means to your work? Um, so how am I experiencing this global pandemic and worldwide protest for Black lives? Um, in a number of ways, of course, in how it impacts the work is very sim similar to this. And so I'm experiencing it um, within the multiple roles that I live. Right. Um, as a wife to a black man, you know, these are 
times and situations that, you know, our family has to grapple with. Um, as an aunt, you know, to young kids who are trying to figure out what this all means and looks like. And because of the work that I do, they think we have answers. You know, <laughs> we have a, a different way of processing, but just to be honest, we don't, not all the time, don't have answers and don't have different ways of processing um, other than being angry, frustrated, crying, similar to a lot of ways that other people process this, all that's happening. Um, but one thing that, you know, one of the roles that I like to hold on to is my role as kind of an affirmer. Um, I affirm lots of things uh, in, throughout my life and with my family and friends, and I bring that into my workspace as well. Um, so as we developed this, uh, which we'll talk more about, our the Cities United Reimagining Public Safety uh, approach, I pretty much dealt with all of those things in that document, right? So learning more about how we can shift our conversations, learning more about the strategies that people are implementing across the country. I mean, and sharing those with other people. So when people are asking what's next, what do we do now? How do we tackle this? Um, all of that and how our process really came into that document, right? Um, and so what it means to the work, and you know, I talked a little bit about reimagining public safety, that is where we are, you know, as a country in this work, that's where we are also personally, and you know, so it's both. How do we reimagining this world that we live in uh, is hard, because that's all we know, but that's where we are in the work and in uh, our per personal lives as well. How do we reimagine a country, um, a society, a community, a family structure, um, that actually represents where we want to be and where we want to go collectively. Um, so last thing I guess I'll say about how, you know, what does this moment mean for our work? It's it's literally the the like no point of no point of no return for me. Um, so now we are here, it's loud, it's clear, it's obvious to those who want, <laughs> who want to be informed about what is the problem and what are the issues that we have to tackle. Um, so there's a point of no, multiple points of no return, but there's one particular one that I had the honor of going to and experiencing um, when I was in Ghana a few years back. And at the point of no return, it is when, <laughs> it's when, um, Africans were pretty much put on the boat. And so they call this place the point of no return because you know, a number of people don't and never did return back to their homeland from that particular docking place. Um, and so why I think that we're at a place of no return now is because we can't go back, not to the shores that we want to knew. Um, we, we can't and neither should we want to, but so we're there, right? So we can't go back. Uh, we can only go forward and where and how we move forward is really up to us. And so the work, you know, I love the saying, you know, like <laughs> people um, who have been waiting for are, we're the ones we've been waiting for all along. And so I think that as we go forward from this place of no return, we have the skills, we have the tools, we have the people, um, we have a lot of the financial resources as well. And so as we move forward, this particular document, Reimagining Public Safety document that we put out, lays out the 15 ways that we can move forward um, and where we're actually moving to at the same time. And so um, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> all of that is how I'm experiencing um, all that this world has happened in the last less than a year and what it means to me both personally and professionally.
can you talk, uh, you talked a little bit about uh, the global pandemic and how you moved through it and survived. Can you talk about the shifts or if any shifts were made by Cities United uh, as uh, Cities United continue to do its work in a global pandemic as well? What does that look like and feel like? Uh, and how has it shown up uh, for the key sectors that you talked about earlier? Yeah. So here at Cities United, we are um, a network-based organization, um, which also means we we really focus heavy on relationships. And so the biggest shifts that we've had to make were around those things: how we actually build relationships with people um, and communities. How do we actually invest virtually? Because <laughs> you know, building relationships virtually is very, very different. Um, and part of moving and working an organization that's based on a network, we've had to find new ways to connect our, our stakeholders, essentially. Um, it was a little easier before when you can have site visits and bring people to a city to learn about that city um, and not just the programming, but the culture you know, of the city, the, the little nuances that make cities different um, and sometimes big nuances that make a city different. We've had to shift how we do that um, you know, it's easy to say we just went virtual, but it's a little bit bigger than just saying we went virtual. We had to find new ways to connect people, um, new, find new opportunities to, for shared learning and shared um, understanding and shared celebration um, and shared mourning at the same time. And so the biggest pieces, of course, going virtual means that, but also finding a new way to connect a network in a virtual a virtual way and finding new ways to build relationships with, with other individuals. Um, more specifically, we've had to, of course, shift our entire um, programming, specifically, you know, as we know, in person, um, but we had to shift that as well, similar to our annual convening, which is also usually a three, 400 person plus event in person um, where you can give hugs, you can, you know, go out to a, a restaurant and share, share a good meal. Um, we've had to shift all of those types of activities this year. Uh, when you hear folks talk about public safety, what comes to mind for you uh, uh, when, when you hear just public safety in the way that we talk about it now? So when I hear public safety, um, for me, public safety really means the, the ability to be free of harm, and that's physical and emotional harm. Um, so that includes, you know, some of the traumas that exist because of of how we experience the world around us, um, which doesn't always come in the form of physical harm. And so I think public safety, again, is just really being free of free of harm, but also um, the ability to dream, the ability to experience freedom. Um, and I don't say this lightly, but it also means liberation. To me, public safety is the ability to be free. Oh, love it. Uh, so with all of that did you just uh, outline uh, and really talk through uh, what public safety means to you how do we uh, collectively get there right what's the way forward uh, uh, and how do we uh, you know what does the work need to look like uh, moving forward Yes. So in um, the Cities United Reimagining Public Safety brief briefing document, excuse me, that's out, um, we elevate and highlight systems thinking. 
And so within systems thinking, it lays out various uh, levels of change, essentially. And so a lot of people are familiar with the iceberg theory. And so it's that, right? And so I believe that as we move forward, we really have to tackle things on all levels. And that means paying attention to not just the things that you see above the iceberg, which are those events and the activities that can be physically seen. Um, that also means, you know, of course, paying attention to the patterns that are underneath those events of why does it exist? It then goes further to look at the structures, the systems that have created the situations or for those patterns to exist. And then lastly, which is often the hardest part, is changing our mental, um, which is the hardest part, I believe, with this reimagining conversations that we are having is that we have to also shift our mental models. So we have to be able to actually take a hard look at some of the um, some of the isms that exist, right? So we have to take a look at white supremacy and uh, racism and say, why do they exist? And what are the mental models that are wrapped around it? Why do we believe that tall, black, big men are aggressive and scary? Where did that come from? And why do we believe that it, uh, our systems don't reflect that? Because people do still believe these things and also believe that our systems are not uh, a reflection of those things. And so changing all of those things are not gonna be easy, but we have to really tackle these on all four levels to really drive forward a systems theory of something new and something different that we've never experienced before. No, that's great. Uh, I really enjoyed this time. Uh, before we wrap all the way up, can you again just give folks a quick overview of the reimagining brief, where they can find it, uh, how they can engage with it, uh, uh, and how we're thinking about uh, uh, integrating it next year? So the Cities United Reimagining Public Safety brief is a call to action. It's a call to action to mayors, to other elected officials, but also to community members, to young leaders, to anybody out there who really wants to say, how do we look at public safety differently in our communities? Um, and so this brief, this call to action really focuses in on three key areas. The first one being interrupting the cycles of community violence. So this area really says, how do we stop people from dying today? We know that people are dying today and they will until we start putting measures in place to react to those things, not just to react, but also to be um excuse me, to be, um, to respond in advance, right? So this has a number of initiatives and strategies within it. We look at uh, street outreach and violence interruption. We also look at collaborative public safety funding. We look at hospital-based violence interruption models as well. And so that's the first one. Again, it's interrupting the cycles of violence. The second area that we focus in on in this document is dismantling systems of inequity. This is the harder part for most who look at this document. What does that mean? How do we tackle it? This, these are things that we've been dealing with for years, but what we really encourage around this particular area is making sure that we see the intersections of education and violence. Right. So how is the education system perpetuating systems of a system of violence? And it does as much as we may not want to believe it, it does. And the same is the case for other of these large systems that impact our daily lives. So it's looking also at economic development. That's asking the question of how do we bolster and boost 
education at the same time as um, <coughs> engage families and communities? How do we do that? What does it look like? Um, and that's the second area. So that's, again, the second area is disrupting these uh, systems of inequity. And the third big area is really investing in the sustainability of the operations and administrative systems and structures. This one is a little bit harder for people also because it's like, uh, well, we don't have the funding. So we really encourage people once to first take a look at how do we actually um, estimate the cost of public safety in our areas. A number of cities have done this and we encourage people to keep doing it. How much does it actually cost to have a robust community-driven, community-led, community-supported public safety model in the city? And there's other areas within this as well. Um, but overall, these are the three big areas that this document tackles. Again, it's interrupting the cycle of community violence, dismantling systems of inequity, and investing in the sustainability of our operations and the structures. And so that's the big three where Cities United is looking at how do we integrate these um, three particular areas throughout of all of our programming in 2021 and beyond. So that's looking at the Roadmap Academy, our Young Leader Fellowship, our Community Partner Support Network, of course, and our annual convening. So we'll be elevating um, how we not just educate and train people on these, but also how do we look at our organizational um, institutional policies that support these three areas as well. And so these are what we're, how we're moving forward uh, from 2020, 2020 and beyond. Of course, this is not set in stone. We are looking for ways to always grow and strengthen the approach. And so if there's other ways and things that may be missing, we definitely encourage people to share those with us, share the ideas, share the, um, the examples also. So it's not, of course, always in stone. This is a working document that as we learn as individuals, as we learn as an organization, we definitely want to strengthen this and build it out a little bit more to support not just our key stakeholders, but also the young men and their families that really can be impacted by our work. The road ahead of us will not be easy or comfortable, but we must keep pressing forward. We will need bold leadership at all levels not only to reimagine public safety, but redefine and create new systems that keep us all safe, healthy, and hopeful. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Journey Continues. I want to give a special thank you to our guests for joining us and sharing their wisdom and their knowledge. Join us every month as we elevate new voices, strategies, and resources to help us reimagine public safety and move us closer to our vision to create safe, healthy, and hopeful communities for all young Black men and boys and their families. We look forward to continuing this journey with you. Peace. See you next month. I want to give a special shout out to our sponsor, Levi Strauss & Company. As a global iconic leader, Levi Strauss & Company knows that what they do and say matter. That's why they have pledged to support gun violence prevention efforts by providing grants to nonprofits who are working to end gun violence across the country. By elevating the stories of grassroots organizations who are successfully implementing violence prevention strategies in their communities, and funding nonprofits who use digital tools and platforms to empower and lift up the voices of youth activists, Levi's believe that we can counter the gun violence epidemic in this country and make communities around this nation safer. To learn more about their goals, please visit their website at levistrauss.com. That's L-E-V-I-S-T-R-A-U-S-S.com.